Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge, Sons of Anarchy. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on, like Sons of Anarchy, which I didn't watch until like four years after the last episode aired on TV. And now I've watched nearly every year since, except for last year, which I was saving for this podcast. Today, we continue our binge of season one with episode two, Seeds. And the title is a little... on the head? I'll just leave that there for now. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, there will be spoilers. This series wrapped in 2014. I'm going to try not to give everything away, but if you haven't seen it by now, you're later than I was. There will also be adult language and situations, especially with this particular show. Trigger warnings aplenty. Use earbuds if needed. Shout out to Alex and Cade, the bonus binge squad. For your own shout outs and access to bonus episodes, join on patreon.com slash belated binge. Link in the show notes. I want to kick this thing off like I did in the last episode. I think that went kind of well. I hope you agree. We're going to keep this thing rolling. Going to try to introduce each of these episodes as if this was a romance movie or a romantic comedy. Wish me luck. What's better than an intimate night with a person you're attracted to? How about two people you're attracted to? At least that's what Tig Traeger originally thought. But now it's up to him and his brotherhood of biker buddies to cover up the evidence of his night of sexual bliss. And they prove they'll go to the center of the earth, or at least six feet of it, for each other. Let's jump into episode two, Seeds. We open in on Jax with a welder. We're mechanics, after all. And Bobby shows up with the good shit. And the good shit are apparently muffins. Which is awesome. And again, it's... it's These early episodes, I love uh, how there's like this... This balance of these badass bikers, but also there's this sprinkling in of comedy where you think, oh, these badass bikers are just really stoked to eat some really good muffins. <laughs> uh, Clay brings the payout for the gun deal that they just um, made, apparently, which this doesn't quite um, work for me because in the pilot episode, we the whole reason that the Niners were so pissed, not the whole reason, but a big reason that the Niners were so pissed that they didn't have their guns is because they had already paid for those guns. And now they had to go steal the guns back, they got them to the Niners, and now Clay's paying everybody from the gun deal? Shouldn't that money have already been distributed? Is kind of all I'm saying here. Uh, and now Juice informs everyone that there's a warrant to search their warehouse, which, if you recall, that's the house that blew up. And then we cut to that house, and the dirty cop that we met in the last episode is just staring at the burnt bodies. Why are they still here? <laughs> Has he just been spending the last, like, 48 hours or whatever it's been just looking at these bodies and wondering, what am I gonna do? 
because I thought he was supposed to be getting rid of him. Anyway, um, basically, the plot needs this timing to line up, uh, and the not dirty cops pull up. And something about, uh, like, uh, the technicality of a, a small town cop just throwing his featherweight around with the county jurisdiction. Uh, this reminds me of NCIS. If you ever watch that show, uh, when Gibbs is always like taking over crime scenes and throwing his serious stare around and going up against, you know, the FBI or the CIA or something. And somehow because of plot, he ends up winning the pissing contest despite working for like this tiny branch of government. Navy cops can apparently outpunch the FBI, and in charming, the charming PD can, that I don't know, overseeing a town of like 46 people can just walk all over the county sheriffs. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, back at TM, that is the name of the uh, mechanic shop. It is Teller Morrow, uh, which is Jax's last name and Clay's last name. So there's you know, heritage, uh, and Jax and Bobby are, they're all apologetic to Clay, um, and this is just kind of, again, reinforcing the hierarchy here, Clay is, you know, the BDE head wizard in charge, uh, he is Dumbledore for our Sons of Anarchy, uh, at least in this moment, he certainly doesn't turn out to be Dumbledore, uh, although, actually, you know what, there might be more parallels there than I, um, than I would think. Get back to you on that potential bonus episode. Uh, anyway, uh, Gemma mentions needing his, needing his, and this is a direct quote, Jew brain uh, regarding some accounting for the business. And Bobby's response was that his big old Jew brain can't even count his own fingers, uh, which is pretty funny because, I mean, aside from the fact that, like, you can't say Jew brain in 2023, uh, it, it's funny because, like, I think it's, like, one season from now, Bobby is going to get, like, tapped in to be bookkeeper for a new business venture. We'll just leave it at that for now. Uh, and he's also the treasurer for the club, and the treasurer for a club handles the money. So I don't know if this line was just thrown in because they didn't think anybody would notice or if Bobby was kind of being tongue-in-cheek like I don't want to help <laughs> uh, but either way she did not quite line it up for me uh Gemma wants to do a uh, dinner and she brings up the book that Jack's found in storage to Clay again and Clay just basically says stop worrying again this is funny based on how he's going to react to something else written by Jack's dad spoiler alert foreshadowing whatever you want to call it um Clay gets a call from someone named Unser and tells Tig that there's going to be a protection run. And this is where Tig tells Clay that he was sleeping with the two dead girls from the gun warehouse explosion. He didn't bother, you know, think or bother to tell him last episode when they were staring at those bottle bodies. Sorry. Um, no, he, he decided to tell him now. Uh, and Clay's not very happy to hear about it because let's... And, <laughs> And let's call Tig's dialogue here, like, disturbing at best, but I still laugh at it every time when Clay's response is, what kind of nasty shit did your mama do to you? And Tig's reaction is just, what do you mean? 
And I just got to say it now and get it out of the way. I've never been a Tig fan. Uh, He has moments throughout the series, sure, where I like him more than other moments. But most of the time, I just really don't like the guy, uh, especially in this first season. However, this little back and forth is pretty funny. Uh, Anyway, that's also not a reflection of the actor who played Tig. Uh, Kim Coates did a great job. I just don't like the guy he played. Uh, Anyway, uh, now Hales is at the crime scene, uh, and Hale is the name of that small town cop that was throwing his weight around. And he finds the bodies. Of course he finds the bodies. Uh, So I guess that's going to be our main problem for this episode. Uh, And now we're having a meeting to discuss Tig's sexual conquests and how to deal with said DNA problem. And, And I don't... I don't really know if I understand this very well. Um, I could just be stupid, but let me just take a pause and let's just talk this through for a second. He said to himself in a small corner of his basement uh, with his little soundproofing half-ass podcasting studio into a microphone. Uh, The premise here is that Tig's baby juice was swallowed by both of the victims of the fire. The club has a concern that the cops are going to find the bodies and in their autopsy identify Tig's sperm and DNA inside the stomachs of the women. Between however long has passed since the sexual act in question, stomach acid and substantial burning. Should this even be a concern? Uh, I'm not an Emmy, uh, so maybe I'm crazy. I'm definitely not a chemist. Um, but this seems kind of like we just needed them to want to get those bodies out of there and wanted the edgiest possible reasoning for it. Saying that the two dead bodies brings more attention and could just increase the chances of being tied to the club wasn't enough. We had to have their bellies full of cum to get this done. I guess. Okay, here we go. Clay meets with Unser to try and get Hale to back off. And Unser turns out to be the sheriff. And he has cancer. So he's about to retire. And this Hale character that we've just met uh, earlier on in the episode, or was he in, I don't remember him in episode one at all. Anyway, um... He's going to be taking over the department. And it turns out Unser is the person who also needs the protection run. That should go well. And Jax gets stopped by Hale in his Jeep with the top off. And he uses this as like a little mini interrogation while he's driving and Jax is riding on his bike. And and then he kind of threatens the club again while he's driving next to Jax, and they're just, like, yelling at each other back and forth. And two things, okay. One, how the hell is this supposed to work? I can tell you that if I'm actively riding my Harley, which is just as loud as the bikes on this show should be, I can't hear enough to have a clear conversation with anyone in traffic. It's just not happening. And that's why riders have things like comms units in their helmets so that they can talk to each other uh, while they're riding. They don't just pull up next to each other and shout at each other the, what they're trying to say. And then also, 
Jax has this like mic drop moment and speeds away from Hale. Hale's a cop. Wouldn't that be the exact excuse he would need to pull Jax over with cause? But he just, I guess, lets it slide and lets him violate traffic laws to have a cool guy moment to end the scene. Sure. Uh, Now we're at the hospital, checking on Abel. And we're also checking out Tara. Uh, Apparently, Abel is doing pretty well and is expected to have a full recovery. Um, Jax tries to apologize for the blood from last night, and she just shuts it down. Uh, And now we're nostalgic. We're playing catch-up on the missing years, and we're starting to, again, kind of see the history and and flesh that out a little bit between these two characters. And Jax informs Tara of he and Wendy's failed marriage and failed reconciliation that led to Abel <laughs> being here. Uh, he still goes to check on Wendy, though in, I guess, I guess uh, this just kind of piggybacks off of the last episode. The outlaw has a heart. And now we're at Opie's house, and Donna needs the truck. They're behind on the bills. Opie mentioned this in the last episode, but we're starting to see it play out, and we're starting to see how it's causing tension and stress in their lives for their marriage, for their family. And she's still really cool about this. She just casually says that she needs to hide the car so that they don't repo it while she's gone, and... Um, and now Opie is headed off to work and he finds his dad parked somewhere in town on his way. Okay. Did they have find my iPhone in 2008? Did Piney even have an iPhone? I doubt he even had a pager. How does this, how does he just know exactly where he's going to be parked at the very moment that he's going to be there? Anyway, Opie asks for money. Piney doesn't have any to give him. He does tell him about the protection run, though, and we clearly get the sense here that Piney is not the super supportive daddy type. His response at the end is, you know, quit whining, grow a dick, and take care of your business. And that's just the kind of world that we're living in for this show. (laughs) And if you're offended by that, you're probably not watching the show and you're not listening to this right now. Anyway, back at the clubhouse. We're back to scheming how to avoid the Lodi forensics unit that we've learned is coming to get the dead bodies. And Lodi is kind of the next biggest town nearby, I guess, that would have a forensics unit that Hale can tap into. And Clay's solution is killing someone in Lodi. (laughs) Uh, And Jax is not on board with this. And Tig is an idiot. He wants to kill Nords in Charming and dump them in Lodi, and Clay is all for it. However, Jax offers up an alternative to murder, and he's kind of looked at like a lunatic. So again, we see what kind of world that we're building and that we're living in with this club, how they're, um, how the idea of just murdering people to solve a problem is like, yeah, that's normal everyday stuff. And Jax has to defend himself and, and talk about how he's, he's thinking straight and whatever. And he points to a sign on the wall that says brains before bullets. Uh, And that's how he kind of gets them on board because 
I guess that's supposed to be some sort of, I don't know, if, if it's posted on the wall, I guess that's supposed to be some kind of mantra that the club is uh, supposed to live by, I guess, going back to its founding. I don't know. I don't even know if it comes up again. But he suggests grabbing some dead bodies from the funeral home guy who apparently has a gambling problem and then dropping them in Lodi and making it look like a murder. So essentially achieving the same thing but without the additional potential heat and conflict that could come if them doing the physical murdering actually were to go wrong, particularly you know, close to home. Uh, Clay reluctantly agrees to this and basically says, you know, don't make me regret this kid. Uh, now we're at the funeral home and we meet Skeeter and Jax requests the two dead bodies. And apparently Skeeter has started in Gamblers Anonymous and doesn't want Jax's money, which is mind boggling to Jax. But instead, he's still willing to do business but he wants a girl, which is fucking creepy. But Jax agrees to get him to hook up with a quote-unquote crow eater, which is the club's name for a pass-around, which is a very unfortunate name for girls who have a proclivity to sleeping with different members of a motorcycle club. I I didn't come up with the term, people. I don't know. Uh, and now... Now he's in. He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. If you can, if you can get her to sleep with me, let's do this. Um, he offers up a white guy, and Jax also asks for a Mexican guy. And Skeeter says there's a fresh one he just buried in the cheap seats, and now Half Sack has to dig up the body. Broad daylight, Half Sack is digging up a grave with a shovel. Nobody notices. And now we're taking a break from the club to see Darby, the leader of the Nords, and Alvarez, president of the Mayans Club, meeting at a park. And this is confirmation that Darby le like, led the Mayans to the gun warehouse. These two are working together, but apparently not fully working together because Darby wants to combine forces and... What the fuck are we doing in this park if we haven't already done that? But Darby is being super racist, so he obviously just wants something out of the partnership. Uh, he's not probably not stoked to be working with a Mexican club to begin with, because again, his crew is like a white supremacist group. It's not great, but all he really wants out of the Mayans is protection from Sam Crow. And Alvarez lets him know that he'll give him a couple of bodyguards from the club, and all the while, <laughs> Darby isn't realizing this, but his car is being stolen. And this exchange goes down, and he goes out to the parking lot like, where the, where the hell's my car? Well done. Well done, Sam Crow. Perfect plot timing. And now we're back at the clubhouse. We've got Jax in his little room that he's apparently sleeping in because his ex-wife had his house. Um, and the girl that Skeeter wants to hook up with comes to see him. And this goes, well, pretty much how you figure it will. He doesn't even recognize her and lets her know what the request is after she, you know, tells, tells him who she is. Um, and he's pretty smooth or whatever throughout this exchange she's 
creeped out by um, by Skeeter, but, you know, for the club and blah, blah, blah. And we get this, the basic premise here is, and I'm going to, we're going to paraphrase quote here. I'm not some whore jacks, but I'll be one if you fuck me. And that seems like a fair trade from Jax's perspective, even if he's wearing the cut, because that's what she's into. She's a crow eater. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. And the protection run begins, just as Halfsack makes it to the body that he's digging for, and they get cut off on the road by a street race uh, on their way with the bodies, and uh, that causes some damage to the vehicle that they're driving, and I'm sure that won't come up later. Nothing about that's going to come up later. Forget it ever happened. Uh, now we've got a hospital scene. Tara confronts Gemma about Wendy's OD. She basically says she knows that Gemma's guilty, uh, and she's actually got the confidence to stand up to her and let her know it, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> no wonder Jax likes her. She's got some. Uh, she's got some gumption of her own. Uh, clearly, clearly a strong-willed character. Uh, and now we're back on the road. And <laughs> that thing I told you to forget about, part of it's coming back. Uh, cops are pulling over our boys in the damaged suburban. And Juice comes through in the clutch. He rams the cop car, gets the cop to start chasing him down the road on foot. Jack slashes a tire and he goes to pick up Juice and Half Sack as they're just running, running, running. Uh, and the cop responds the way that all cops are trained to respond to any situation. He just starts shooting blindly at them. Luckily, he missed because this is a TV show, and cops don't actually take firearm training in TV shows. They can't shoot straight worth shit in TV shows, ever. Uh, so, in, let's just say it's a bit of an overreaction as a, as, a, as a member of law enforcement to just start firing at will. Uh, Opie and Clay are now having a heart-to-heart -heart on the protection run. First, it's about Donna, and then it's about Opie. Kind of, Clay's trying to get a sense of where Opie's head is after being locked up. Um, and Opie informs him that he's got no resentment. And I think we should believe that that's true. You know, Opie seems to be... Opie seems to be struggling mentally in this, like, in this uh, past couple episodes here early on in the season. That's He's clearly got some emotional stuff happening, but it doesn't seem to be at all tied to you know, uh, negative thoughts about the club necessarily. He's only avoiding, he had only been avoiding the club to that point because of his wife. His wife is the one with the problem with the club. Uh, you know, but now Bobby gets a call and Clay changes the route that they're on and the truck driver isn't stoked about it, but like, you know, it's a protection run. The driver follows them. So now Jax and the boys are, uh, they're, they're staging their murder scene and they're being really fucking loud about it. And nobody sees this. No one, no one. We've got a car crunching a dead guy's skull. We've got a dudes that are like trying to physically move this big ass dead guy into a car. We've got guys running around squirting bags of blood all over everywhere. And now they're just lighting it up with gunshots. 
Nobody hears them. Nobody sees them speeding away. Nothing. Okay. And now, back to the run. Clay has staged a hijacking. The trucker is tied up in the back of the truck. Clay sells the truck's content to a gun buyer as a way to try to buy the club some time to rebuild their distribution business. Uh, and it's less of a selling. It's more of a um, it's more of a, a donation to them with like just kick me over a, a little bit to just like kind of uh, to to kind of like cover the uh, cover the cost of um, <laughs> of of doing business, I guess. Uh, and Opie asks Clay about Unser, whose shit they're stealing. And the one who hired them to protect that shit. <laughs> uh, fair question there, Ope. And Clay says that it was time for Unser to get a wake-up call. And it was kind of all part of his plan. And now we're back to Jax. He sees the car that cut him off at the gas station. So he does what anybody would. He goes in and starts a fight. <laughs> well, I, I say that. Okay, so it's not much of a fight. He beat this dude's ass and then the guy starts shooting, and the crazy store owner <laughs> stabs him in the head with an axe. So, that went according to plan. <laughs> uh, Unser uh, is not happy about the hijacking with Clay. Uh, Clay uses the hijacking as leverage to make sure that Unser keeps his job for another six months. And now we're starting to see... This is what Clay was kind of playing at. He wants Hale off his back. He wants Unser to keep his badge and basically threatens that all of his trucks are going to be getting jacked until he agrees. And when Unser kind of come, he, he figures he's like, you know, this is how you treat an old friend? No, this is how I treat an old cop. And if you thought that these two were more than acquaintances, this would lead you to believe otherwise. Uh, and now we've got Donna. Donna's at the grocery store, and this sucks. It really does. Donna is just trying to buy groceries to feed her family, and the store clerk, um, I guess, informs her that they can no longer take her checks because they keep bouncing. Uh, and she has to put some of the stuff back so that she can pay cash. And Gemma, of course, is in the store, and she sees this go down, and she brings out the rest of Donna's groceries to, to Donna in the parking lot, and Donna tries to turn it down. And this is where Gemma gives her the, you know, Sam Crow is the glue speech and invites Donna to dinner. And essentially tells her not to talk anymore because Donna is, she feisty. <laughs> she very feisty. And now we're, now we have another cut. We've got Hale in the barbershop and he tries to confront Unser about pulling the surveillance he had on that gun warehouse. And Unser informs him that he's keeping his badge another six months and Hale is not stoked. And Unser doesn't take too kindly to being accused of being on the club's payroll. And that is something that's going to come up again. And this is actually something that, while I think, I know I said that I was going to keep spoilers to a minimum, 
this is this is an interesting dichotomy to me with Unser's character because we do find out that he's right about this. At no point are we like is he being paid by the club to do things. Not like the not like the dirty cop that we saw uh from the county sheriffs in the pilot episode. That was a literal money exchanging hand situation. So it's really easy to assume that Unser would be the same way, but that actually doesn't turn out to be the case. There's more there's more to the relationship between Unser and this motorcycle club that gets really, really interesting. And that's where I'm gonna leave that. Uh so anyways, we're back to Jax and he's reading his dad's book. This time he's on the roof. And it becomes a voiceover kind of captioning what he's reading from what we can assume is John Teller's voice. And this kind of becomes a theme a little bit. Jax ends up spending quite a bit of time on that roof, reading from that book, and we hear John Teller do some voiceover stuff. And it's it's kind of a cool, um, it's a cool production uh, play. And that, that piece of the show evolves over time as well, which is really cool. Uh, now we've got Tig and Bobby getting the dead girls out. Uh, we've got Gemma coming to look for Jax and is like snooping through his shit a little bit. And she asks about the stuff he found of his dad's and starts going through the pictures. And this is a really, really fucking weird point. She like, she finds a picture and goes, how hot is, how hot was I? And he says, smoking hot. And who the fuck says this shit to their mother and their son, like in that kind of dynamic it's weird that is weird writing it is that is strange writing uh anyways uh tries to I, well i say that i say that that's strange writing but i've also kind of seen people talk like that to uh each other as like son mother um in those moments very very like very light-hearted, tongue-in-cheek, and that's probably that—that's obviously what they were going for. But it's it still it it's weird to watch each time, uh, even if I've seen it in real life play out uh, similarly. Just less creepy, to be honest. Anyways, um, she tries to bring up the writing again and asks to read it herself, and she's not being slick here. And Jax is catching on, and sh- he uh, he keeps the book on him as he gets called out to um, to do something out in the garage. And now she's just flat out going through everything, trying to find this book, and stops on a picture from her wedding day. Episode 2, and Gemma is already <laughs> clearly very toxic. And now we've got to cut to Hale. He comes to TM and he comes to confront Clay and Jax the dead bodies are gone at the warehouse and he calls them white trash thugs he gets in Clay's face about you can't stop progress and that's gonna be a thing uh, that comes back up again and now we've got the cremation of the dead girls and Tig says a little prayer uh, and everybody's standing around it it's a little ominous. It's also a little weird. Uh, and now we've got our ending montage for the episode. And if you you will notice if you're new to this series, each episode ends in a montage. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's consistent with literally every episode. Anyway, 
our ending montage for this episode, uh, Jax is at the hospital, Gemma's burning that picture that she found, Hale is like sulking, uh, Donna and Opie stayed home to eat dinner with their kids, clearly very upset and uncomfortable and tense and stressed and just not they're not in a good place right now and the rest of the club is over at Gemma's for this like big dinner um cuts are off at this dinner which is interesting uh and everyone there is happy club is family and that seeds episode two of sons of anarchy and this is a way bigger opie episode than i remembered uh, and this is going to sound kind of silly, but I kept laughing at the costume design choices. Uh, when he was riding alone, or even when he was at home, he had on this like stereotypical biker bandana, which I'm not hating on that. I wore those things a ton growing up, to be honest with you. I thought they were the coolest fucking thing ever. Uh, I even have, like, I have multiple years in a row of little me playing flag football and I'm wearing those on picture day and I'm wearing them in every game. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, but then when he was with the club, he switched to a black beanie. Even in the middle of the day in California when it's hot as all hell. And at first, I thought they were just feeling it out a little bit. I thought they were just kind of feeling out what Opie's style was going to be for the show because these are early episodes um looking back at it and and having listened to reaper reviews uh and watched a ton of youtube videos myself of behind the scenes stuff they were uh very much in at this point feeling out these characters and really developing who they were gonna be uh stylistically and and things like that like what were gonna be their uh their things uh, if you will and um Opie, I thought, was going through that in this episode. But then I thought about it a little bit more. Because that's what happens when I do shit for this podcast. I catch something, and then I go down a nerd rabbit hole. And this one was interesting to me. This whole episode, Opie's fighting with this duality of his life since getting out of jail. He's buried and dead at home. His wife wants him out of Sam Crow. He's working a blue-collar job. This is where he wears something with color. Flannel. A bandana. But when he puts on the cut, he's the outlaw biker. The one that they call to blow shit up. It's the darker side of his personality. It's all black. A beanie. Two different looks. Two different opes. I never noticed it before now, but I think it's pretty cool. And something else I clocked this time around is how Tara and Donna stand up so confidently against Gemma. I said I wouldn't get too spoilery, uh, but let's just say that that's not common (laughs) in this show, and I don't think it's an accident with who these characters are. Donna is the wife of Opie. Tara was Jax's girl before she left Charming. Jax and Opie are the sons of Legacy. Both sons of founding members of the Sons of Anarchy, both following in their father's footsteps by joining, they represent the next generation of Sam Crow. Also, I've said this uh, term a lot, you've heard it on the show, but it hasn't been like uh, 
uh, I guess, clarified to this point. Sam Crow, S-A-M-C-R-O, Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club Redwood Original. Sam Crow. That is this motorcycle club's name in full, abbreviated. And that's what they're doing when they say Sam Crow. Anyways, an eventual changing of the guard is what Jax and Opie represent in a, in a way, which also means Gemma. She's been the wife of two founding members, John, Jax's dad, who was founding president, and Clay, who's the current president, and also one of what they call the first nine founding members. They haven't used the term old lady on the show yet, but she's the top dog old lady. She's the queen of this life. And she's not used to not being in charge, at least amongst the other old ladies or the crow eaters or whoever else is around that's not wearing a cut. And honestly, in this show, even the guys wearing the cuts. (laughs) Uh, Yet these two younger women connected to the next generation of Sam Crow will show her attitude everyone else is afraid to. It's another cool duality of the show super early on. And overall, it's a good episode, I think. Uh, It's a little silly, a little crude, and honestly, that shit is right up my alley. Uh, I love these early on episodes, where the stakes are a bit lower, we're just bikes and bullets for the most part here for a little while, establishing the universe, and I have a lot of fun with them. Um, These are the episodes that make you think you want to buy a Harley and join an MC, honestly. The camaraderie, the brotherhood, family, fun, an edgy lifestyle, follow your own rules. The whole thing is kind of the epitome of what you want an MC to be. And a lot like what John Teller wanted it to be. Obviously, we aren't going to be farting rainbows and shit and sunshine forever. But it's a really fun start. And also, I don't recommend watching this show going out and buying a Harley and throwing on a cut with a Sons of Anarchy patch on the back and just going into public. Like, literally, don't ever do that. That's not safe. (laughs) Anyway, before we get out of here, we gotta go do one more thing. We're gonna rewrite Sons of Anarchy. One small change to each episode at a time. I'm posing a question. You can tell me what the impact would be on the episode that we just watched, as well as the wider story if you're doing a rewatch. For this episode, what if Donna accepted Gemma's help and dinner invitation? Let's see what that does to our story. I'll share the question on social media. You can follow at Belated Binge across TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There's also an exclusive Facebook group for listeners of the podcast links in the show notes the best responses will be included in a future episode if you enjoyed this episode of rebinging sons of anarchy give me a follow leave a review on apple podcasts please Uh, also whatever you're listening on if they have a review i would appreciate it there too Uh, i'd also welcome you to check out the other binges going on on the feed the office and the harry potter books visit belatedbinge.com to find links to everything patreon.com slash belated binge you can also leave a voicemail on the website with your own thoughts thank you so much for listening and remember life is short 
buy the motorcycle. And when you do, wear a helmet. Dress for the slide, not the ride. And make sure you're taking belated binge, Sons of Anarchy, along for that ride.